Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, rockers and rollers of all ages. Welcome to this next episode of Straight Out the Fridge. Now I know what you're all thinking. I thought Chris was away this week. I thought he was away on vacation slash holiday. You're right. I am away. I'm phoning this in. I'm phoning this in from sunny slash rainy slash stormy slash delete is appropriate. Wales. And I'm having a wonderful slash awful slash I wish I was back recording the podcast with the boys. Delete is appropriate time. But this week, in my stead, in my seat, there is the one, the only, the legendary mortal enemy of mine, Josh Haberfield. You're very, very lucky to have him on. He is a fantastic, fantastic drummer. He knows his stuff inside out. And he's the best man that we could have on this week. Because this week, the boys are going to be talking about the role of the drums in rock and roll. So, without further ado, boys, take it away. What a lovely intro by Christopher Weeks there, who unfortunately slash fortunately is not with us today. But uh, as he said, uh, it's going to be myself, Jay Osborne, and joined by guest uh, seated presenter... Josh Haberfield. (laughs) He's already a pro. Sorry, I should have done that with more gusto, really. <laughs> no. Josh Haberfield. Very good. And really nice. obviously the one and only... Tomek Savinsky. People love you, mate, which is just so weird, because you're the worst you, human Jim. being. Oh, right, hang on. No, 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 no. Pe- people love you, Josh. It's going to be weird having to call you Josh, because I'll call you Squash. You can call me Squash if you want. I okay. think it's close enough for people not to get too confused. I mean, Squash and Tomek are fairly fair. You know, yeah, be all right. Different yeah. names. Fair yeah, enough. yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so as we said uh, last week, Mister for Christopher Willie Weeks uh, is on uh, holiday slash vacation this week. Woo-hoo. Lucky, lucky him. Uh, so it's uh, so it's us through this week, and as I said, we're joined by uh, the one and only Josh Haberfield, aka Squash Jabberfield. Uh, this man here has worked with all three of us in various different uh, capacities and shows all across the world, and we love him very much, and he's very, mm. very good, and he knows his stuff. And Willie's choice this week as topic week was to do um, the history of the drums, and we thought the perfect choice for this would be Mr. Josh Haberfield. So thank you so much Indeed. for coming on, mate. It's uh, Hi, mate. my pleasure. Yeah, we've been looking forward to it. Um so where do we begin, Tomek? Do you want to kick us off with some, well, some bits? Well, normally I do a timeline about the subject matter that we're about to do, but I've actually done one on who the bloody hell is Josh Haberfield. No, I haven't really. Oh, I got really excited. <laughs> oh, Imagine. come on. And was he confused. was born in Dorset, didn't I? It would have been the second best thing that happened to me today. <laughs> I was so confused then because I have already edited your timeline. I was yeah, like, I, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> no. Well, um, Well, yes, without further ado, I think it's time for... Tom X Timeline. Tom X Timeline. 5,500 BC. How old? The oldest drum to be discovered is the alligator drum. It was used in Neolithic China and was made from clay and alligator hides. The alligator drum was often used in ritual ceremonies. 476 AD ish to. 1453. Drums played a major role in medieval and renaissance Europe. The snare drum and its relatives were used in the infantry to send coded instructions to soldiers. 
They were also used in ancient Africa and India to send messages over long distances between villages. 1840. Marching bands. Drummers in marching bands in Europe and America would use a variety of individual hand percussion instruments. In order to cover more roles, bands started to experiment with multiple percussion instruments, combining them into what was then known as a trap set. 1860. Double drumming. A technique known as double drumming was developed so that a drummer could play the bass drum and snare with sticks while using a pedal to control the cymbals. This pedal ended up influencing the creation of the original hi-hat, but at the time, it was known as the low boy. 1909. The bass drum pedal. Eventually, bass drum pedals were developed, which allowed drummers to stand and play with their feet, keeping both of their hands free to play other instruments. 1929. Symbols. A Turkish man named Avida Ziljan III continued his family's symbol manufacturing tradition by setting up the first mainstream symbol company in America. Founded in Quincy, Massachusetts, the Zildjian Symbol Company went on to invent the most popular symbol types used today, including the crash, ride, splash, sizzle, and hi-hats. The 1930s. Swing drums. After Zildjian created thin ride cymbals, swing drummers began to move timekeeping away from the snare drum, which had been standard in earlier marching styles. Innovative changes such as this would kickstart the new era of drumming. The 1940s. Bebop. By the late 1940s, swing drumming had morphed into a new form of jazz called bebop. Swing bands were usually large ensembles featuring many musicians, and the drums were so big and loud that they could project over the entire ensemble. The 1950s. One drummer who pioneered this new drumming vernacular, thus influencing rock and roll and R&B, was Earl Palmer. Palmer is credited as being one of the most recorded drummers in history. He's also responsible for modernizing the backbeat and recording classic songs for Little Richard, Fats Domino, Professor Longhair, Roy Brown, Sam Cooke, Ike and Tina Turner, and many more, and has appeared on countless soundtracks. Wow. Another well, there you go. successfully... Successfully? Is that a word? Yeah, yeah that's a word. Yeah, yeah. But that's the wrong word for what I was going to say. Oh, not is it not good <laughs> Unsuccessful <then>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, another unsuccessful <laughs> timeline. <laughs> no, that was great. I really enjoyed it. I was yeah, thoroughly just, impressed. I don't know. It's they're quite, especially the, the when it's not an artist week. It's really hard to find any of this information. And like, where do you start? I mean, with drums as well. I mean, people like to think it's one of the oldest instruments in the world, um, in terms of evidence and instruments we found, um, uh, archaeological finds. Um, but like, like it's actually really. It was really difficult to find. Like when it all came together, like as in what we know is the drum kit, you know, like when the snare drum came and the bass drum came together and things like that. It's all very vague, which is why uh, that sort of like it's more 1930s and 1940s and, uh, yeah. and, and things. And I think for the viewers that don't know uh, who Josh is, which is going to be surprising because he's a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> uh he plays kit i mean obviously you play percussion as well but but the drum kit as we know it today is is what you play and that's my thing yeah so what but not just a drum drummer a specialist rock and roll drummer as well he not is. many of them 
Yes, yes. That's true, yeah. Not many guys that just go, you know what, everyone? I'm going to play one thing and one thing only. <laughs> Versatility, what's that? <laughs> um, so, listening to that timeline, Squash, what was mm. there anything in there that you didn't know? No. <laughs> <laughs> really? No, uh, no. There, I mean, listen, lads, you told me that i was going to be coming on a podcast talking about the history of drums so i read the same articles that tomek read <laughs> oh really <laughs> amazing together. amazing um, no uh there are things you know i mean the crocodile skin that's pretty mental uh, alligator let's get that sorted oh, oh sorry let's yeah sorry alligator listeners skin. uh let me apologize uh, <laughs> that these chaps straight out of the bloody fridge don't endorse that sort of nonsense <laughs> get you're right, animals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Oh my yeah. God. I. Uh, uh, as far as the kit goes, yeah, it's interesting. You can actually look up guys that are replicating the kits that were played in like the late 1800s. Yeah. Where before the bass drum pedal was around, you can see guys kind of with a snare drum set up on a chair next to them, kind of like a weird. 45 degree angle and then a bass drum just stood on the floor and they're just whacking you know right hands doing some bass drum rhythm and then the oh, left wow. hand on the snare and actually some of the rhythms that they're playing is the same kind of stuff that, oh, that really? we play today still yeah absolutely because if you think about it tonally it's like if you think about a drum set you've got to think about you know the fact that in fact Mitch Mitchell said this Jimi Hendrix's drummer he was like you've got to think about your bass drum is your bass okay so that's down there you've then you've then got your floor tom which is your tenor you've then got your snare drum which we want to sit in outer and then your cymbals that's soprano and so if you think of it kind of tonally there's only so much you can do between interaction between bass and snare there's the same kind of stuff if you go oh right well that chord progression in that song on the guitar I've heard that before for thousands of tracks. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. It's the same thing. Yeah, there's only like a certain amount. So, have you know, having that creative kind of thing with the drums, like where can you go? What can you do to make it? Yeah, and so, of course, if you go all the way back there, people are already finding things that we're already using now, uh, you yep. know, beat-wise and stuff. But it's amazing. But it's quite cool because uh, Josh is actually doing his podcast in on his drum stool as we speak as uh, we live and breathe the only chair i own yeah <laughs> since covid hit had to sell the others oh, ah yeah it's a tough <laughs> tough world what a world um, we live in where you have to sell your chairs because <laughs> a virus is playing. facebook marketplace yeah. thank goodness so um yeah so i think well i think what we're really looking at today obviously this is a rock and roll podcast is like at what point did well i think there's various questions isn't there like at what point did drums become relevant within rock and roll why did they become relevant and what sort of impact did they have um on rock and roll music and you know what was their place within mm. it um and from doing my research the kind of big turning point um was the bass drum pedal um ah, which was yes. a huge thing and so i did i did my own little uh my own little timeline like i normally do oh, good man. week and uh professor osborne on the scene again he's back um and this is <laughs> this is what i come up with the bass drum pedal such a specific 
and what seems insignificant object for us to be talking about. But the impact that this strange-looking contraption has had on music, of all genres, is something that definitely cannot be overlooked. Back in the 1890s, a lot of bands found themselves having to squeeze into tiny orchestral pits, and the luxury of having a number of various percussionists, such as snare drum player, cymbal player, and a bass drum player, were quickly abandoned for a new position of what was called the double drummer. During this time, it was obvious that the snare drum and cymbals could be played at the same time by one person, but that some sort of foot-operated beater was needed to play a third drum. Various drummers at the time came up with all sorts of ideas and inventions for this ever more needed contraption, and first designs incorporated a pendulum-style beater hanging from the top of the bass drum loop. This beater was connected via a cord or a rod to a foot pedal, or attached to the drummer's foot. Although this style of pedal worked, it was slow and not always reliable. Still unhappy with not having the most appropriate bass drum pedal, this spawned a quest that would go on to create the most recognisable bass drum pedal design. In 1909, the Ludwig Drum Company, William F. Ludwig, and his brother Theobald patented the first floor-type bass drum pedal. High demand for this product produced a highly stimulated marketplace that created a lot of similar products, with pretty much every major drum manufacturing company releasing its own version of this floor-style bass drum pedal. The Ludwig brothers, however, already had a strong foothold in the market, as evidenced by the number of second-generation 1913 pedals that are still in existence today. These light and compact pedals met the needs of touring and travelling drummers and were originally advertised as small enough to fit in your pocket. In 1934, Lubbock created and released the Speed Pedal, promoted as having everything that a fine pedal should have. This pedal closely resembles the bass drum pedals of today with a ball-bearing rocker arm. This new design was an instant success. Still not content with the design, Ludwig offered an improved super speed pedal in 1936 that incorporated a compression spring in which the tension of the spring could be altered to meet the needs of individual drummers. Although World War II overshadowed any type of development of drum manufacturing, companies were quick to jump back in the saddle during the post-war years, and soon created a very much at the time overlooked invention, the double bass drum pedal. In 1950, it was William F. Ludwig who once again revolutionised the drum industry with his renamed WFL Drum Company and released the Speed King pedal. This time features included twin compression springs, twin roller bearings and an arched rocker shaft which provided maximum foot clearance and allowed the beater to strike parallel to the head. This new design of bass drum pedal has stood the test of time and is still offered in the official Lovewit product catalogue today. Well, there we have it. Yeah. So, out, wow. of, out of that, Josh, what didn't you know out of that? All of it. You didn't, <laughs> didn't know you any of it? Didn't know any of it. No, no, I did. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but not all of it, I'll be honest. Uh, Ludwig have played an amazing part from the start of like drum kits how we know them today so the kit i'm literally sat behind now as i'm talking to you guys uh is a gretch but which were kind of based on a ludwig ah um, okay yeah oh, yeah they kind of saw they saw what they were doing and of course 
Jay, you especially will know Gretsch for guitars. Um, but they, their drums, they've always been a competitor for the kind of strong standard rock and roll setup. See, that's um, that, that for me is crazy because I, I mean, being a non drummer, I mean, I've you know, I've played a bit of drums now and again, but for me, Ludwig was just another brand of of drums and you kind of forget that there's always going to be one brand out there that kind of started it all and it was amazing to me that they were the guys you know the innovators of creating what most people see as just like a tiny part of a drum kit but yeah it's just so revolutionary and that's that's kind of why I did the timeline I just kind of thought you know it it, it just gives you like so much more to be able to do um whilst playing the drums and how sure. how do you feel josh with that like i mean i know that there's a lot of rockabilly players for example that will just use snare and maybe the odd cymbal um and you know we know marching bands and things like that they um they will just use snares or they use individual players for different parts of the of the drums you know like i said like cymbals and snares and bass mm. drums and toms and things like that but um for you how i suppose the question is how important is the bass drum pedal for you like and and how sure. you know and how how would it affect your playing i mean if, if if you didn't have it i mean it's a very obvious question but there must be more to it than that you know absolutely so i very much was taught from an early age when i was learning the drums that the bass drum pedal needed to match what the bass guitar was doing Mm-hmm. That's a fundamental of rock drumming, right? You wanna you wanna be paired up, so whatever the bass is doing, and like I've worked with Tomek as a bassist. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry about that, mate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got paid though, didn't um, we? So it wasn't. Yeah, big. so that was the main thing. Remember those days? Um, yeah. So <laughs> having the you know the bass drum pedal is there to back up what the bass is doing, so it can be used quite melodically, but then also playing in a big like setup. It hasn't been a lot of what I've done, but I have had experience in playing like in a 16-piece jazz band, which is amazing. That kick pedal is there to keep people in time. You know, uh, one of my favorite drummers, uh, who's just a local guy, like where I grew up in the New Forest, you know, he drums for fun, but he is sensational. He's never worked as a pro, like, because he, I don't know, he's always just said to me, I never wanted to ruin it. But I always remember him saying, the best drummers are the ones that aren't noticed until the rest of the band turn around and acknowledge them and it's on purpose. If you do a whole set without being noticed, you've done a great gig. Ah, oh, that's really funny because when we play together, I notice you all the time. Yeah, I'm always looking at you. Yeah, I didn't say I you know, took that advice on. <laughs> I used it. I liked it when he said it to me. That is nice. It's nice. And... I think the bass drum as well. Like, So you look at it, you look at it in the 20s, right? Mm-hmm. When you've got like tea dances going on and things like that, and you've got a big swing movement and people are dancing, the bass drum not only provided a backbeat to everything, it's also like a rack to hang things off. You can put a tom off that, you can put a cowbell on that. Hell, like you go back then, there were three things on every bass drum there's a cowbell or a woodblock, a tom, and a ride cymbal, all hanging off the same blimmin' yeah. thing. Mm. Like, yeah. It's a function in itself in a kit. And it's it's a really good way to put your logo on the skin as well. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people Brilliant probably were thinking that's... about that. Thank yeah, you, Tomek. So Cheers. No, I always make... go, oh, look at yeah. that. They've got the logo <laughs> on the drum, on the bass drum. That's what I always think. 
Of course. I mean, the uh, <laughs> the main thing when looking back at rock and roll <laughs> is, uh, uh, Tom, I'm turning your silly comment into something good, uh, <laughs> is, you know, a big way for drummers back in the day that were playing with jazz orchestras. Like I mentioned, the big 16-piece mm. jazz orchestras. They're the guys that were putting their initials in little shields on the front of their drums so people could start to recognize that. You know, Buddy Rich, he was never seen without his initials yeah. on the front of a kit. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. shield, that's that's so true. Yeah, yeah the, that's the it. And it's just With... a way of going, this is me, guys. Yeah, the shield with the stripes. That is such a, that's a really good point. I never thought of that. Um, that's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, that that's the thing about the drum kit. There are so many different parts to it. And each part is so malleable in a sense that, you know, a ride isn't just a ride that has one cymbal sound. It it can produce so many different things. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, and the same with everything else. Uh, how do you feel in regards to, like, are you still, do you find yourself still finding new sounds and new things? Or do you think that gets to a point as a, as a drummer where you kind of feel you know your way around? I mean, you know, you know your way around your drum kit, but are you still discovering things as you go along, you know? I think it's circumstantial. I think, say, for example, last year, you know, I was on another rock and roll tour, which was amazing. But, you know, it was the same sort of style of music that I've been playing for the last five years, pretty solidly right. in one job or another. And then lockdown hit. And then I suddenly had all this time with my kit set up. And I didn't necessarily have to play rock and roll. And I was like, right, OK. And in that time, I really fell in love with messing around with bits and bobs again. So yeah, yeah. just silly things like putting a splash cymbal on your side snare and making a crunchy kind of acoustic clap sound. Oh, that's Playing nice. hip-hop beats, things like that. Messing around with different size rivets in your ride cymbal to get different lengths of sizzles whilst you're playing. Literally, you know, nerding out to the point of how long a sizzle do I need to make this last four <laughs> bars. I can whack this symbol at the beginning of four bars, play a beat, and it will still be sizzling away in the background. I think that curiosity with the kit is something that drummers fall in and out of. And I think it's all circumstantial. It's when you've got the time to do it and you're not on the road every night and you're not sitting down and you're playing the same show. Because let's face it, most musicians out there, if you're doing that, it's, it's quite rare. You might treat yourself to a little jam every now and again, but actually that's about getting up doing the job, playing the show, and then heading back to the bar or the room or whatever, and, and it's, you know, eat, sleep, drum, repeat. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's... Um, so, it, yeah, I guess the answer to your question is it ebbs and flows. It's a great time now when musicians have more time to experiment with different sounds that we can then go, when performing's back full-time, I can use that neat little trick that I was playing oh. around with in my room. You know. So we've spoken i suppose we've cleared up the kind of like history area of it all sort of when it started and things like that but mm-hmm. i suppose it's now sort of thinking about the influence of the drums within rock and roll specifically um i mean for you josh um i know all these questions are directed at you this week but Tomek doesn't know how to tie a shoelace, let alone answer a question. Yeah, I don't drums. actually have any laces on at the moment. They're right. slip-ons. You still got the Velcro shoes I bought you for Christmas? Yeah, so. the flashy ones. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. You told okay. me they were too expensive, Tomek. Yeah, because you were trying to get Heelys. Oh. No, you said what a rip-off. I gave you a joke and you threw it Oh, away. no, he oh. did. It's a shame. 
You can only help people so much. Exactly. That's what I mean. You can't even... Oh, what just... a rip-off. Oh, God. <laughs> well, with a, a, a clean-cut edit, I'm sure yeah. that'll sound great. Jay, edit that Should we do a little in. laugh, Jay? Yeah. Like he did it really well? <laughs> there it was. There it was. Yeah. <laughs> really good. Oh, yeah. Great. Really good. Oh, I'm not editing any of that. that I thought I'd laugh as well. Exactly how it was. <laughs> um, so for you, Josh, like what, mm. what do you think the beginnings were of the use of drums in rock and roll? Um, and, and how do you think that had an impact on rock and roll music? Because we know it was used in the big bands and it was used a lot in swing and, and jazz and things like that. But and marching what bands. made... And marching bands, thank you, Tom. Mate. Um, but what made, um, what made the drums different for rock and roll? So, I mean, you've you touched on it there. The beginning of where rock and roll drumming started is that. So you look at the players, and they were all guys that were playing in jazz bands, and were all playing swing. And so, where it translates as a kind of shift. A kind of change in the play is that you started to have guitarists and pianists who were playing straight but the drummers were still playing a swung groove yeah ah and what we know is as where the that fight. rock and roll <laughs> no this, <laughs> this is, is it this, rock... this is yeah. it sorry sorry josh yeah no it's funny you say that because we've actually mentioned this every time on the podcast and i mentioned i mentioned it from working with uh chuck mead who if you listen to our um, first podcast, uh, which was on Elvis, uh, Chuck Mead was our special guest interview for that. And and that's one of the things he said to me that has always stuck with me, which is like, especially playing something as specific as Chuck Berry, you know, rock and roll is about a fight. It's You're always fighting and you're pushing and pulling each other. And it's exactly as you said. One of you is going to be playing a straight beat or a straight rhythm. And then the other one is going to play the opposite. And it's about getting those two to work together but also not work together and that's kind of what creates like that rock and roll feel you know mm. so you you say chuck berry there one of the songs that is the classic example of that happening is johnny be good uh-huh what you find in johnny be good and i have never played this song like i mean, live i've played it must played it over a thousand times i've never played this song live how it is on the original record oh really Yep, and that is because the drums are swung. Everything else is straight. Like you say, there's the fight going on. The snare is bouncing. It almost comes... It comes when you expect it, but a fraction off. Let's hear a little bit of it, and then let's talk through what the beat is doing, and and we'll be able to understand it. Okay, so here's Johnny Be Good.
Okay. Okay, you're hearing that. So yeah. basically, if you were to uh, be teaching someone that guitar riff, you would be counting it, going, okay, so it goes one, two, three, four, one, two, three, ba da ba ba. Yeah, and that is a nice straight count across the beat. Whereas what the you can play that drum beat absolutely straight, and most of the time when you're playing that in a gig scenario, that is what the rest of the band want, just to lock in and go for it. Yeah. But if you listen to what's going on there, what you actually have is this moment where it's a one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And and it's the two and the four on the snare that there's a bounce and it goes dum ba ba and it's that kind of moment where it just is almost propelling the next beat of the bar. And what so we what we've got is yeah, we've got that one, two, three, four, boom, ba, boom, ba going on between the snare and the bass drum, whilst the whole time the cymbal, <laughs> the ride or the hi hat, he chops and changes between it, is just going da 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 which is what we've heard throughout the last like 30 years of drumming is ta 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 any Glenn Miller tune. It's the swing, like, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, yeah. the swing and that is going, but you've still got everything else in one, two, three, four. And it's that for me that makes a rock and roll groove exciting. That Absolutely. shuffle, Absolutely. that swing. And it's funny, like even listen, and again, like you said, like we've played that even together. Like, I mean, I can't even count how many times and listen to that it's song. It's all people want, isn't it? Yeah. It's all they want. Yeah, and listen to that song <laughs> however many times. But when you really sit there and listen to the beat, like you find yourself going, oh, it's rushing. Oh, no, it's pulling back. It's rushing. It's pulling back because it's got that fight, you know? And I actually mm. remember having a conversation with you, Josh. I don't know if you remember this. This was maybe like a year or two ago um, about Johnny Be Good playing it and about how we were going to try and do it where I played it straight and you swung it. And I don't know why we ended up not doing that. I think maybe the rest of the band weren't like like clicking in or, or whatever, but like I think definitely if and when that happens again, and it probably will another God knows how many times, um, we we definitely need to really try and nail that down because the the thing about that rhythm, and it is a very Chuck Berry rhythm, he really uses that that, you know, that fight for a lot of his songs, is mm. that can't be written down. Like, you know, like you try and write that yeah. down, it's a nightmare. And that's yeah. the thing. Real rock and roll is a fight that cannot be written down. And and that's what it is. And it's such you know, a good example of it. Do you know what else I noticed on that track? Because it's so funny because I can't remember the last time I actually listened to that track because we've done it so many times. If I if it ever comes up on one of my playlists, I'm always like, skip, don't want to hear it. Yeah, we've yeah, done yeah. it so many times. So it, when you said, I'm going to listen to Johnny Be Good, I was like, oh, wow, I can't actually remember the last time I listened to this. One. Two, uh, from my research, this sort of shift with rock and roll is guitar-led orchestra let's call it let's call it rock and roll for the sake of this argument the band is an orchestra but also the drums have more of a vital role they're not just there to keep tempo they're there to sort of also lead in their own way as well so if you've got chuck with his straight you know dinga ganga 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 and then the dinda dada dinda dada of that what i also heard that time was his pianist sort of dancing between the two yeah it's almost yeah. like yeah so like i was just and like that's oh. what jerry lee lewis does so well yeah you listen to any jerry tracks and yeah. you just have got some of the time he's with the drums and he's swinging and some of the times he's with the guitar and he's playing yeah, straight. Yeah. And he goes between the two. You're so right because um, my one of my favourite rock and roll tracks ever, as you boys know, and again, we've played it a few times and a lot of people don't know this track, but you will agree with me. It is one of the oh, no, greatest going. tracks. He's been trying to get it on for weeks, Josh. <laughs> um, it's, it's Here we go. 
is Matchbox by Carl Of course Hopkins. it is. It's Matchbox. Now, the cool fact he's about right. that... He's I'm right, though. It's a banger, right? It is and, a banger. And, it you know, every set, especially me and Josh, we always go, let's try and get Matchbox in. Let's always try and get some Matchbox in because just, it's just such a good song. But the, the cool thing about that is, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this more when we do a, a Carl Perkins episode, um, is that uh, what a lot of people don't know is that a lot of early uh perkins recordings at sun studio jerry lee lewis before he became you know the killer as we know releasing his own stuff um he played in for piano for a lot of carl perkins tracks um and matchbox is one of them and i i, I want to play a bit now because when you really listen into the piano um you can hear that it kind of starts um it starts playing straight or swung i can't quite remember now and then it changes to the other into in like the next verse or halfway through the verse and it just brings the whole thing to life and you're right tomic it's it's funny that we're talking about the drums is and the guitar that you know like what we class as the fundamental things that make yeah. a rock and roll band but sure. yeah you're right it's kind of like the drums are doing one thing and the guitar's doing the other and then you've got other things like the piano that are kind of just playing in between you know taking mm. a little bit of each side and and that is a it's actually a really nice way that it kind of links the band together um mm. But let's have a listen, um, and uh, you'll see what I mean. Well, I'm sitting here wondering, Matt's bought for my coat. Yeah, I'm sitting here wondering, Matt's bought for my coat. Ain't got no matches, but I got a long way to go. I'm an old So you see what I mean about that fight? It kind of goes from the from the straight up to the you know, it's got that swinging aspect. And like you said, Tom, it's it's kind of bridging that gap. And then that, to me, that opens up another question, which, again, with Chuck, we spoke a lot about when we worked together, which is, you know, were they doing that on purpose or was it just something that was an accident? Because these guys weren't trained, you know, they, they, they yeah. just played what they, they heard and wanted to play. You know, they were so natural and organic. And and I don't think we'll ever know the answer to it, but it's a really good sort of question to think about, you know. Are they just being really, really clever with 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 the the timings there, or is that just something they did because it just happened? You know. So Chuck never uh, had a band as such. He Chuck got Berry his tour manager. Chuck Berry, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know this story. It's so good. Yeah, Carry yeah. On. So he got his tour manager to seek out the best bassist and the best drummer in whatever town he was going to be gigging in, and he'd pay them a session musician fee, and they'd be his band for the night. Because he was like, ah, I can't be bothered playing with the same people. It's not interesting. Uh, and so I think if you're playing with someone like Chuck on a, you know, you're going in, you're playing one night, you're playing with Chuck Berry, you can be like, number one, this is cool. But number two, I'm going to play what I know. And like I said, all the drummers at this point know swing. They know how to shuffle. Yeah, they yeah. know how to, like, that is, that's what they've been playing for however long they've been playing. And so I don't think it's a conscious decision to go, you know what, we're going to cause this, yeah, this yeah. different kind of rhythm and fight. 
actually, it's probably just those guys sitting back and being like, oh, right, yeah, let's just play. Yeah, no, you're oh, so right. Cool. And that's, that's a really good point. I never thought about it in regards to Chuck's. Because like you said, you know, he used to go to a different city and he never knew who he was playing with. And they would pick, like you said, the best bass player and the best drummer, which sometimes weren't even that good. Like there's a lot yeah. of clips out there and there's some really bad, uh, really bad musicians, I have to say. Um, <laughs> but then he'd be lucky sometimes to have some great musicians. And yet I think the main reason that he did that um, was to save money because sometimes he wouldn't even pay them because he would... He would just be like, "Hey, you you've got a chance of playing with me, like yeah, that, that's right. enough, surely." Cheeky, and cheeky. so he would save money. You know, we're talking about a man here who would only ever get paid in cash for a gig, and he would keep that cash in a guitar case or suitcase <laughs> backstage underneath his clothes, and would keep an eye on it. And that's where he kept his money. Like we're talking about this sort of guy. Like so, the fact that he. Um, you know, is getting we've all worked with in. one of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Chris Weeks is one of them. You know, yeah, um, yeah. That's why he's not here now. He's doing that. <laughs> yeah, just counting his yeah. money in his suitcase. But no, it's <laughs> it's it's definitely a really good point. And yeah, I, I, that's kind of what I believe as well, Squash. Like, I believe that um, it wasn't like it wasn't something that they thought about and thought, yeah, let's be really clever and cross these rhythms. You know, um, it wasn't an experimental thing. Um, or, or like a choice. It kind of just happened. And um, I just think that's what makes, you know, rock and roll, rock and roll. It's that organic sense of something just happening and not being written down on a piece of paper or or, 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 or having people sit down and go, okay, so if you swing this and I go straight with this and then you play that, and then it isn't that. It's just, let's do a 12 bar. Let's yeah. just play what we play and what we know. And then no. someone's going to be, you know, like you said, all these, all these guys coming up from the, the the 40s that were in these big swing bands and stuff they're going to swing away because that's what they do you know that you know their right hand's going to swing around that ride and yet all these guys on the guitars are going to be you know playing straight so it's going to cause this friction and that friction is rock and roll you know do you want me to play the whole song again or no 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 because i feel like you only set up this podcast just so you can get people listening to matchbox <laughs> yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna play it again every week now no we're not doing it every week mate you it have is to a banger, admit, though. it is one of Full the disclaimer. best rock and roll songs yes it it's is so good like every other conversation you bring it up um i just want to go back to that because obviously we, I, I like to think of rock so we're going back to matchbox ro- yeah yes okay we're to matchbox just double check the rock and roll the rock and roll setup if we're saying two guitars bass and drums for this argument the leaders are your guitar, guitar, as in lead guitar, and drums. Those are your your two leaders um, in terms of the fight. And then you've got people dancing around it. But what we haven't actually spoken about, what that does to the vocals and what Carl Perkins is actually doing in his vocals. You can kind of hear this kind of call and response thing that he's not quite getting. So he's saying, sitting there wondering on a matchbox, hold my clothes. And then if there's that like gap where the the band is sort of going, here's our response, it's just a fight. (laughs) And he's like, okay, I'm going to use that. And then he sort of does both in his melodies as well. Uh, Sorry, in his his lyrics. He's sort of like bouncing between and then coming straight in with a a great, well, I'm sitting there wondering, you know, like he's, you know, aggressive and then matchbox, hold my clothes. And it's just like, comes back into the lilt again but it's the same with the, it's the same with the in the uh with the instruments as well like when i was playing sure. that in in the you know the show that i've just done as carl perkins one thing that chuck told me was that um you know really keep everything very low and very like like condensed and together for those verses and let the singing like you said take over mm. and then it's that call and response thing and then really bring it out and and make it make it something 
for that call and response part. So you're definitely right. You know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. said, you know, I'm sitting here wondering what the matchbox. Oh, gang, 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 gang. Well, I'm sitting here. You know, there's that that that, that yeah. fight. So it's it's a really good comparison. You know, there's I a, just I think uh, I think that's something people might forget that the drums influence everyone. Everyone is, yeah. It, you know, even if you're so sat back in the music, you're not necessarily listening to the drums. You're sort of, you are still influenced by it. And I, I personally feel feel like that anyway. Because um, the piano... I think there sits- were certain players that throughout the 50s, uh, especially, you know, in the late 50s, started to go, okay, we don't have to swing everything. And we can find moments where we play across the rhythm and we can find moments where we play straight. You mm. look at uh, people like DJ Fontana, who was Elvis's drummer. Yep, of course. You look at tracks uh, like Jailhouse Rock. Ah, Where you just get, like, that smack. Boom, boom. Crack, crack. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and that in itself, just that little rhythm. Bat, 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 bat. We then see right into the 60s right into 70s blues soul like led zeppelin grooves you can hear that same thing being played in in some real like rock classics yeah where there's space and that's where things start to move when drummers start to leave space yeah and that's where uh like jerry allison where you start to there's grooves that he did that he was you know he was an all-out jazzer he played in a marching band coming up and then he was playing jazz music, and then he started finding these experimental grooves with Buddy Holly and and things that just weren't normal. And as soon as he got on his first tour, he got picked up by Ludwig, and he said, I want a kit with as many tom-toms as, as possible. You know, this is in 58, and they're going, well, we'll give you a floor tom, and we'll give you a high tom. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, what about one more of each? Uh, no. What do you mean? It's like, oh, well, you know, Buddy Rich had another floor tom. It's like, yeah, he only had that because he, that's where he put his sweat towel. You uh, know that? Buddy Rich never played his no lower way. floor tom. No way, I didn't tom. know that. That's just where he kept his towel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but, are you, yeah, are you now asking only... for a floor tom for your sweaty towel? Um, I've actually just asked for a tom. That's what Tomic does now. Just... <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Waits there. Yeah. Very good. Um, Points to Josh. Points to yeah. Josh. Thank you. Uh but yeah, it's um it's interesting. I mean, one of my favorite rock and roll songs to play uh, is Marie's The Name. And it's for this reason. You know, Elvis in this track is playing a rhythm that we hear in like indie bands that are playing today. The bum, ba bum, ba bum, ba bum, bum. Yeah. Like we've heard that really kind of all the way through the 90s. You know, Oasis, Blur. Uh, Stone Roses they've all played that rhythm yeah and it's come from that influence and you get Elvis's drummer DJ is is playing the exact same thing as the rest of the instruments and that's where things get interesting we lose the fight for moments but then in the chorus we get the fight back and and that's where things start to make a shift Mm. well let's hear it then Uh, let's hear Marie's the name great track here it is Very old friend came by today Cause he was telling everyone in town Of the love that he just found And Marie's the name of his latest flame He talked and talked And 
I heard him say That she had the longest, blackest hair The prettiest green eyes anywhere And Marie's the name of his latest flame Though I smiled, the tears inside were a-burning I wished him luck and then he said goodbye He was gone but still his words kept returning What else was there for me to do but cry There it is, it's amazing That is a real shift and real difference And it's similar to tracks like Not Fade Away um, And uh, other tracks that just, you know Drummers are beginning to express themselves a bit more and match up with the other instruments. Yeah, and not just like sit at the back and be just the drummer, you know, keeping time right. with... And that's the thing. You look at those early rock and roll tracks and uh, they literally are... Drummers are just metronomes, you know, like... And, and, and they're there mm. to keep time. And like you said, this is kind of the time where they're starting to like, you know, put in different f- uh, fills and be more experimental and, and try different things and play along with other instruments and have other instruments play along with them and, and really become more of like like a melodic instrument in a way you know not just this ticking clock at the back which everyone's keeping in time with it goes back to what i was saying earlier about thinking of the kit as making up a choral section of having a bass a tenor an alto and a soprano and having dynamic range within that and in like you say dynamics on drums that's something that came in around this sort of time as well what's that i, mean, I always say what's dynamics <laughs> what on a drum is that yeah it all, all sounds very loud to me um yeah that's because you played next to me for a year yeah sorry to your uh left ear for that but no it's um (laughs) dynamics on drums before rock and roll were written down on charts right okay so guys playing in orchestras and playing jazz they'd see it be prescriptive when they had to play quieter or when they had to play louder when they had to crescendo through a, a snare roll or something um rock and roll we start to find a thing and it's still found live now by the guys that are playing these old songs are the moments where you can go and then you pull back. Exactly like you were saying about Carl Perkins. When you've been asked to perform that, Jay, you're being asked to hold all of that back and that energy. And it's energy that then goes through. Same in Marie's The Name that we just heard there. We get the lazy bam, ba bam, ba bam, ba bam, bam ticking through and then as soon as we get to the chorus the keys comes in and it's all going and which i normally cock up when i play yeah that is true <laughs> <laughs> that is true <laughs> lucy rest baby never but you're right yeah. it's like it's kind of like this like give and take system you know you're like you're holding something back so you can give more later and then you give more later so that you can hold back after that you know and w- when we were listening to that just then you said something interesting which was i thought a really nice little thing to say which was if the Bombay Bicycle Club, say, brought that song out today, everyone would be like, great, that's a great song. You know, it wouldn't be, Yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's like it's made itself timeless in a sense. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It has. I remember playing that song um, at Landfest with Tomek, actually, in a band. Indeed. And, uh, like, you slam it in and the crowd reaction like says it all whether they know the song or not they can't help but dance yeah um and it's songs like that that stand the test of time for me and just like it's it's great it's like um so long tall sally is another beautiful example by little richard of where the drums hit those stabs with everything else 
you get bap, 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 gap. And then we're shuffling and yep. we're doing our own thing. Da, da, da. Yep. But then when it comes to that again, it's tight. And it's the stabs all together. And going in and out of that, in and out, yeah. is, what, is what makes people move. Because they're like, oh, hang on a minute. I thought I knew what the rhythm was doing. And now it's doing something else. And that just makes people want to move all together. It's kind of bounce. like that, that drop that like everyone loves when they go to, the, you know, go to da club. Um, did I say <laughs> the what? It's showing your age there, <laughs> mate. <laughs> they go, hang on. They go to the what? When they go to da club. Not da club. Da club. Just like throw it away. Just like da club. Dachau. Da Krakow. Da club. Da club. Is that right? Is that better? Just throw it away. Da club. Yeah, when I want to go into da club. No. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think he is, like, to be fair, it's probably spelled D-A, isn't it? So yeah. it's just a pronunciation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But it's just like, just throw it away. Just edit my duh in. Okay, I'll do that now. Da club. Good. <laughs> I thought it sounded good. I thought it sounded really good. Um, yeah, thanks. No, man. but it's true. Like, it's that thing, isn't it? Like, when you go like dancing and you listen to like club music and stuff, uh, like the thing that people crave is that drop, isn't it? It's that big, big, yeah, big, yeah, big, yeah. big, 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 Still big, today. big, 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 big build up, and then a bit of silence, and then the drop, and like that kind of makes me think. Like, does that come from you know what we're talking about right now? That whole. You know, like, like Long Tall Sally, for example, where like, um, well, Long Tall Sally, she's got rules, she got, got everything, and there's a pause. Ah, baby. You know, it's kind of like there's that Yeah, drop think there. of the end of that song. Think of the end of that song. When it gets to its climax, or the have some fun tonight section. Yeah. Is like, we've reached the, we've had the drop, we've had the build and the build, and it does build throughout. You watch the live footage later on. You know, and they still capture this when they're playing it live. Little Richard towards like the end of his career and it builds and builds. And then by the end, it's at full pace. Yeah. And it's just booming. Everyone's you know? going it, for it. And it is, is just yeah, 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 full yeah. and huge and massive. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do we know why it's called the drop? Is it anything drum related? Is it or did somebody drop something? And then that, that sounds like, you know how you guys do like that fun fact at the end? Oh, yeah of the podcast that sounds a yeah. bit like my fun fact. okay well then we'll <gasps> leave that we'll okay leave that we'll leave that before tom explores another thing in life um i was about to go and google great no, I have... another day ruined <laughs> i promised myself i wouldn't cry today <laughs> you know you always will so just let it out um uh so you, you like i said you're you're on your drum kit right now um so i think it'd be pretty stupid of us to not like utilize that but um, uh-huh. I know when we did a show, um, was it maybe last year? I can't think where we were. We were, we were stateside somewhere or something. But we did a show and we did like a like a Q and A section. And what we would do is we would talk about one of our favorite oh, yeah. songs. Do you remember this? We would talk about. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. Weren't you and me wearing pink shirts for that? I think it's the one and only time me and you have been asked to wear pink shirts. Yeah. And... Why? Hold on. What is this? I don't remember this. I was no, there. You weren't there. Hey. No, but it, also yeah. I don't know this story. No, it was just good. It probably was... because we were wearing pink shirts. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't told you about it. But it was uh, good musicians only. So um, ah, yeah, 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 which does make sense. It was one of those sorts of gigs. Yeah, yeah, a yeah, professional yeah. gig. Only really you good know the musicians. Ones where you get paid. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> um, Not an exposure. Yeah, employed to be there. <laughs> I, I remember us wearing those pink shirts, and what what we were doing is we were talking about like one of our. Um, our favorite rock and roll songs and then we talk a bit about it and then get some questions from the crowd and then we'd play the song and i remember you picking uh and playing um not fade away buddy holly um mm. now for people that don't know this josh um 
has now, uh, for the second time, uh, been playing uh, Jerry Allison in uh, the Buddy Holly story. Uh, and I know that he's one of your absolute heroes and stuff. But you, because of that, obviously, you've done a lot of the research. You know everything there is to know about him. Uh, and you've spent a lot of time researching, you know, specifically his his drum beats and how they work and why they work and where they came from and all this sort of thing. And I remember you talking, like I said, during that um, during that gig about um, about Not Fade Away. And I just think it'd be really, really cool if you could maybe like, you know, Tomic wasn't there, you know, just teach him a thing or two. And, and I wasn't invited. You were specifically not invited. Yeah, absolutely. He was like, don't invite. <laughs> don't let him hear. <laughs> uh, yeah, cool. Let's talk about Not Fade Away. So yeah, what's interesting with Not Fade Away is that, I mean, Jerry Allison recorded it on an empty cardboard box, uh, which is amazing in itself, but then obviously had to, once the hit took off, had to play it live. Um, and what you get is the only thing in like the first part of each verse is drums and vocals, uh, which is really unusual. Um, so you just get that kind of rhythm where he just is get well I'll play it here so you just get which we know so well yeah so you get I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be and then everything else mirrors it all the instruments go but 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 yeah yeah so you get the backing vocals and you but, get but no you're a bit, Tommy, bit behind there mate about it. oh yeah. sorry yeah that's a gate uh <laughs> lag um but yeah, and so what's really interesting is that if you actually listen to how he plays it, he never plays this the same. So all of us drummers that play this song, uh, and there's a lot of us, you know, playing it and gigging it in rock and roll bands uh, or in Buddy Holly tributes or Buddy Holly musicals or whatever, um, we tend to play that rhythm. We're like, that's the rhythm, great. But you listen to Jerry playing it, and what was amazing about the most recent tour of the Buddy Holly story I did is that the MD was like, in the room, I played it, and he went, "That's that's great f- for one time, but I'm sure Jerry moves it around, does other stuff with it." It's like, "Oh yeah," and we put on the re- original record, and listen to it, and there's moments where he's like going and whacking the side of the drum like that. Oh wow! And he's moving it around, and it becomes really percussive, and the bass drum's feathered and going, and so the bass drum's always doing that, so he can move it around, but he's still got that dum da dum dum da dum dum. So you oh, get... okay, yeah. Right. It's amazing. So you've got the bass drum doing that at all times. He then starts to add in little splashes on the hi hat, and so you get this weird amalgamation. No, where he starts he? playing the whole where? thing. Yeah, he does. So it kind of well, it rocks along like this. I'll just show you. That's the easiest way to do it. And it's like only in really listening to that recording, really far going deep and deep and listening to it. And it's like, what's that sound? Because, of course, we had one mic, like miking up the whole kit back in the day. And mm. so you have to really listen in. And actually, those hi-hat splashes just going and coming up and, and the little snare accents that he does every now and again. Yeah, little things that you start to get tonal differences. And that's why I love that song. But yet he's still keeping that 
original dun 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 dun, dun on the bass drum. Like he's still that's it. You've still, still always got that, that ticking yeah, over. Yeah, that's amazing. And that is then what the guitar and the bass reply with that rhythm. Bum 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 bum. You know, it's amazing. So the drums effectively a lead is a leader in this song. In this song, which absolutely. I, I know I love talking about. Yeah. But also, I've seen people play this just on the on the floor. Tom going dun gung 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 snare dun gung yes. gung. That's right. And, so, and which sounds so simpler and yeah. it's so simpler for my ears to hear as well, as in low 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 high. That's truer to the original original recording, right? Which is on a box. But then when you start to delve into the later recordings. Once Norman Petty goes, right, hang on, we need to re-record all this stuff properly. You move away from the box and you start to compare it to the live recordings that are going on as well. And what you get is like the same thing with a samba band where you've got like snare drum ticking over doing a rhythm. You've got the lower drums keeping stuff in time. That's what Jerry Allison starts to do. And he becomes like a one man big band just on the drums. Yeah. uh, tonally it's amazing and then you you know you look at his drumming it's also subtle you get songs like words of love where he's just playing that lovely latin rhythm that we've heard over and over it goes like this and that lovely little rhythm sits throughout the whole song and all he's doing i played that there i have my snare on still if i whack this off and he starts to move it around the toms those Latin rhythms there, you would never put that in a rock and roll song, albeit this one no. is a rock and roll kind of ballad. It still has the guitar playing straight. It's uh, it's amazing. And it's when we start to see things like that, it would be criminal for me not to mention Peggy Sue whilst we're talking about I was him. just about to say, it always used to impress me. Uh, you've got a funny story about Peggy Sue, have you not? Oh my goodness. A good memory on you. I don't know this story. A really so good memory. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Do you not? Okay, here we go. Go on, Josh, take uh, it away. Okay, so I, uh, a friend of mine uh, messaged me saying, hello, mate, I've got uh, tickets to go and see Graham Norton record his show live, if you fancy it. Which is, if you if you don't know, if you're listening from other countries, uh, is probably, I'd probably say one of, if not our biggest talk show. Yeah, yeah about. definitely. So, so to get the scale of it, the reason why he was excited, my mate that got us the tickets was... Um, that Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Chris Pratt were guests on it talking about, is it Passengers, that film Pas- they did together? Passenger? Yeah, passenger, I think passengers. I saw that. Yeah, I on a know. plane once, yeah, I think I saw that. Um, yeah. As a passenger. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so they were being interviewed on it uh, about that. Uh, and Jack, my friend that took me to go and see it, is a... Uh, a very big fan of, I think, equally both of them. Like, would happily marry either of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we went. And before uh, the studio show starts, there's, like, the hype guy that, in my opinion, has one of the coolest jobs ever. He just comes out and entertains a studio audience and, like, gets them hyped. So I guess the sound crew can get laughter and applause and stuff and use it throughout the show, I guess. Um, and just to get the audience in a kind of clapping kind of mood. Anyway, he's going around talking to people in the audience and he walked over to me and, uh, hello, what do you do? What's your name? I was like, ah, uh, I, I'm Josh and yeah, I'm an actor and a musician. And everyone's like, oh, wow. And he's like, oh, crikey. Well, the next question's loaded. Are you in a job? I was like, oh, I am at the moment. Yeah. He was like, oh, unlike most actor and musicians, but okay, good. Uh, what are you doing? I was like, oh, Buddy Holly story. And, um, 
we got you know talking about that and he was like great we'll play us a bit of peggy sue and so i started just kind of going okay well i am the drummer in the show so i'll just play it on my lap and so i started tapping away on my lap and he was like nah nah um anyway he then like came over and held his mic and was like play it on my knees anyway he liked it so much that he ended up like then once graham norton had come out and started the show they like arranged for me to go and drum it on graham norton's knees (laughs) i mean whatever you like you like what you like do you know what i mean you, you like do. what you like, and you know it was it was a moment. I didn't get thrown off the red chair for that story. <laughs> Graham loves a good no, slap. no, no. This is a family podcast. No, I didn't mean it like that. I mean physically, he loves a drummer. Yeah. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, here we go. But I've just heard it. I've just Worse. heard it all about. I tried to save it. As you well. did, and I saw your face. You really tried to save uh... that. What's cool about Peggy Sue is that that is the classic example of a drummer like Jerry who has sat in marching band and he's learned how to play paradiddles and then a couple of years later he's finding himself playing rock and roll and he just decides, you know what lads, I'm not going to play anything to do with anything that we've done so far. I'm just going to do paradiddles throughout the entire song. That Which is, is that's tough. mental. If someone did that now, if someone released that now on a ch- on a tune, you'd be like, "What is that drummer doing?" I mean, we 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 <laughs> obviously know what paradiddles are, but for the audience, try and sort of explain what they are for explain anyone. Yeah, for, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, there will be people out there who do know. But of course, yeah, of course. Um, so a paradiddle is uh, essentially you go right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left. That's the pattern. So you get. Um, so that is a paradiddle. And you're probably not recognize it just from me tapping away there on a little off snare drum in front of me. But if I kind of play it in the same tempo that Jerry plays it throughout Peggy Sue, it's quite iconic. So here it is. And he does that throughout the entire song. And what's cool is that he recorded it just on the snare drum like I just played it then. And when they oh. were recording it, they... Uh, oh, it's a long story. I'll bullet point it. Clovis Studios, Norman Petty, the producer that picks up Buddy and the Crickets. He has a studio and Buddy wants to try this idea of working with reverb, right? Okay, and it's like, yeah, we can do reverb. All the artists use reverb. And he's like, no, I want to do true reverb. My... So Buddy says, my brothers run a tiling business. They're going to tile the loft of this studio. We're going to put a mic up there. It's going to be an ambient mic, and we're going to pick up the reverb from that mic of what we play in the studio. And Norman goes, great. Give your brothers a call. Go for it. They build that in Clovis Studios. And so what you hear on the Peggy Sue record is the same drum. So before it's mixed, it's all exactly the same. But what you hear on the record, you get. Now, obviously, I'm just emulating that by playing hard and soft across it. But what you get is one bar of snare mic. So you get the snare mic on for one, two, three, four. And then for the next two, three, four, you get the ambient mic up in the tiled loft that is picking up the second bit. And that's where those echoey reverbs come from. So that's why it sounds like two drums. So once you got it on the road, he was playing it on the snare, snare, tom, tom, snare, snare, floor, floor. Like, uh, moving it around. Oh, I just thought it was yeah. recorded like that. 
know well, that's, that's, there you it, go. Do you know, it's actually really funny you say it because it's the same kind of thing with um with like the slapback that like uh, a lot of rock and roll musicians use on their guitar. Um, you know, like take um take Luther Perkins for example, who was Johnny Cash's guitarist. Now he he loved his um his slapback, and um when you hear him doing his um boom ticka boom ticka boom ticka boom ticka boom that kind of style thing with the guitar it sounds like he's actually going boom ticka boom ticka boom ticka boom but he's not he's just going boom 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 and it's the slapback that's creating that boom ticket doing the ticker and then you have to recreate it and do it live again uh, going back uh, um to what i was saying when i was uh, playing cash stuff um you know i was i was playing the doubles boom ticker boom ticker boom ticker you know like double picking and then you know the md was like no no you don't need to do that like that's not how they did it and i was like yeah but that's on the track he said no that is the slapback doing that for you and i was like wow that is unbelievable so cool so, it's mind-blowing cool. we don't think yeah. about that but then when it comes to like you said like playing it live i mean it's different for slapback because obviously you have the effect with you so it'll do it anyway um, but like you said, with the drums, you're having to recreate that. So although, like for me, like I like to think of like a paradiddle was like a drumming tongue twister, you know, especially the faster you yeah, get. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. really having to concentrate on working out where the single hits and the double hits are. On, and there's a real pattern to it, obviously. Um, but when, so, so a paradiddle in itself is complicated, especially at the speed that... Um, that you know he was but Jerry's playing yeah, that he's playing yeah, that. Yeah. but then having to play that live and recreate the paradiddles as they sound on a recording um it's just a, it's just another step further it's it's mental actually speaking of which because uh, I reckon there'll be some listeners out there going why didn't they just why didn't you just go right left right left right left right left make it make it easier for him can you do an example just like a couple of bars of right left right left and then paradiddles as to what sure, difference yeah. we actually so, get so if we were just doing right left right left at the same sort of yeah. tempo you just hear this cool so that's that's just right left at the same tempo ba 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 is so you get the paradiddle yeah and so all you get with that is this kind of chugging feeling and then you'd mm. add to the bass drum pedaling because the bass is four to the floor. Throughout that, it's just going dum, yeah. dum, dum, dum. But you put the accent on the one. So you get one, da, da. I was going to say, it's like a, it's like a wave it's a effect. Wave. And actually, it's a wave hitting you. It's ba, 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 ba. And you let this run through. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, actually, because we're recording this podcast um, over uh, a video message and the, when you played the straight one we all just sort of sat there good like okay that's the drums and then when you actually play the paradiddles all of us sort of start like bobbing as if we're like <laughs> sure. ready to go somewhere so that was that was interesting it's the, it's just, the accents the isn't it it, gi- it gives you more yeah, of a, yeah. more yep. of an accent to the drums but um yeah it's it's fascinating stuff um so yeah so it's probably time to sort of wind up but i think before we sort of do that uh, i think maybe maybe one line from you josh to sort of uh, sum up how you feel the drums have influenced rock and roll um, since you know since the beginning of it since the late 40s and the early 50s how you feel uh, it is it has had an impact on that style of 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 music that we get from Elvis Presley Chuck Berry Jerry Lewis Carl Perkins um, you know everyone that we that we that we love and hear 
how do you feel that the drums as an instrument and the drummers that you know played um how they influence that music and it's not just been the guitars and the lyrics and the melodies and and the instruments and things you know how has drums specifically impacted on had an impact on rock and roll i think what you get from rock and roll drumming is the players that are playing it are playing what they know and then they get brave and then they start moving away from what they know and they start playing and really playing with the other guys they're playing with they're not following a chart it's the first time these musicians haven't had to stick to what's written and so they start having fun and they start moving stuff around they start marrying up the bass drum with what the double bass is playing they start using a snare to accent someone doing a mad slide on the guitar and it's those sort of things where the sense of play and the sense of fun comes through in the playing and rock and roll music where the drums have influenced i think singers to create melodies around the drumming and that's something that just never happened before yeah no i i completely agree i think it's um i think it was an era where the the drummer had and created freedom and and had the chance to like you said be able to grow and 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 become brave and be able to create things and not only just sit there as we said as like you know a beat to for the rest of the band to follow along but also become become part of the band in in the way that a singer would be or a guitarist would be or a pianist would be you know just because he isn't creating anything tonally it doesn't take anything away from the fact that he is also an integral part of the band um yeah you look at jazz music beforehand, you look at big band, the moment that we look at drummers and we go, oh, they're a good drummer, our drum solos. And that says it all. Yeah. Our rock and roll drummers didn't really do drum solos because they didn't need to. You know, that wasn't their thing. The rest, the rest of the band are allowing them to express themselves. They don't need to all stop and turn around and look at the drums and let the drums have 16 bars, which is what we see in jazz music before rock and roll. Um, that's the difference for me amazing yeah amazing thanks man that's really really good um um any last thoughts there, just Tom? before Sorry, we move on, on mate i've got i've i've got one that i found have you got any um, quotes online. today mate? And, any um, quotes oh actually yes i do here we go you yep. ready although women make up 50 percent of the population they are less than 10 percent of drummers wow that's so right. well this is a thing and uh, i don't know when i see a female drummer or play with a female drummer i personally get very excited because i'm like oh this is new this is like great and like see what energy they're gonna bring to the table and actually one of my fa- uh, favorite drummers i've worked with a woman, uh, woman called sarah workman is also a left-handed drummer so i've got like double like <laughs> excitement in, in that sense um and uh i would just like to say on the old uh on the old podcast as we got a little bit of a platform is just um let's let's get more female drummers out there because i love playing with them and i love seeing them and hearing them so that's absolutely my yeah for the day one of my favorite female drummers just whilst we're on it i've worked with sarah as well um she's lovely mm-hmm. uh, and another one worth mentioning in this scene who plays rock and roll really well is a girl called louisa beadle um okay and oh man like I worked with her in a show where we were the two drummers in it and she's a force to be reckoned with mate she oh, really is 
Excellent. Yeah, she's great. And, you know, I think... I don't know where that comes from, the less female drummers thing, but um, whether it's, you know, I mean, it's quite... I had a mate who's an amazing drummer, a guy called Tom Connor, who uh, just turned around, like, we hadn't seen each other for a bit, and um, we did some depth stuff for each other on different jobs, and uh, I then was in a workshop with him after about a year of us not seeing each other. I was like, hello, mate, how's it going? He was playing guitar in this. I was like, oh, you're playing guitar. I thought you'd be drumming away with me. He was like, no, I've stopped playing the drums. And you stopped playing. I mean, yeah, I just had a moment one day where I went, why am I hitting things like I'm angry at them? I'm actually feeling very calm. <laughs> why, am I, why are my limbs displaying a feeling that I am not feeling? Should I be feeling angry? And he just went into this weird kind of thing where he was like, actually, no, I'm chilled and I want to play melodies and I want to... And I said, could you not translate that into your drumming? And then he went, Josh, no, I couldn't. I play <laughs> drums fast and hard, and there's a place for that. But I'm not a songwriter on the drums. I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. Oh, that's interesting. That is. Um, well, talking about interesting, let's go on to our normal section of the show, which is Mystery Train. Yes, we are at that point in the show where we have all picked different facts and we are going to tell them to each other. Um, we haven't told each other what the facts are yet, and uh, so we may well have the same fact. Uh, that hasn't actually happened yet. Um, so, you know, let's see if we can keep that ball rolling. Uh, and then afterwards, we all decide between us who's gonna who's had the best fact of the week. And they get... A little point on their rock and roll chart. And I think the scores at the moment are... Oh, here we go. <laughs> uh, go on. Yeah. Uh, Professor Jay Osborne uh, with two points. Uh, Mr. For Christopher Willie Weeks, who is unfortunately not here, uh, with one point. And as we could have probably all guessed, Tomek oh. Savinsky with nothing. Yeah. Um, Lap it up. So, Brilliant. Uh, let's, uh, I guess if I win this point, Chris gets my... No, you get... Gets no, my point, no, does he? You get the point. I get a you get to brilliant. You get to keep that, mate. All to yourself. Let's not it assume he's going to get the point. A lot more because you never know. I might come and storm this round. Probably won't. But we always start with the. Uh, is it the winner or the loser? I can never remember. Tonight. Uh, yeah, we start with the winner. Start with the winner. Okay. It's up to you. It's up to you. Do you want to start with the guest or yourself? No, nope, myself. Um. So I. Brilliant. <laughs> of course. Um. <laughs> so my fact is, um, the most expensive snare drum ever sold was for two million dollars oh my god only two mil yeah i'm just going to show you a picture and you can see can you see that yeah all oh, right says so it's solid it's gold. like got but um it's not actually the snare drum um that is just the drum head so just the drum head is worth is what where what where the worth is but it was the drum as a whole so I'm guessing that this this shell that you can see this gold this gold shell that holds the snare drum head on has been created to hold the the uh, snare drum and the snare drum. So hang on, the two mil, two million dollars was for the head. Well, it was it skin. was for the whole snare drum, but the the worth is within the skin. If you, if that makes sense. Really? Yeah, and it yeah. was actually. Was it made out of alligator skin? No, it's not alligator skin. But wow. I mean, you'll probably be able to guess this, but it was played by a very famous drummer, uh, 
and uh, a lot of very, very well-known uh, historical um, gigs or events that this that the band he played with did. Um, can you guess who it was owned by? Hmm. Ringo Starr? Pretty good question. It was Ringo Starr. You're right. Oh, was it? It was, yeah. I just thought, who's the... Because, like, that's the other thing about drummers as well that's interesting, is that they came forward and sort of had a bit more of a voice, especially in the 60s. So that's why I just went, who's the one that I, I think people would all know is Ringo yeah, Starr? Yeah, yeah. And it so was... And how, how did it come to be? Well, it was, the snare skin was the snare skin he used when uh, uh, he, he received it uh, from Ludwig on an early arrival... Uh, to the to states obviously when they um they went over to the states and started touring uh, and it was used on both appearances of the ed sullivan show uh, and i'm oh. guessing it was auctioned off wow. and sold for that amount of money which i mean is just an obs- i mean imagine spending two million dollars which is 1.57 or something pounds uh million pounds um on a snare skin that you wouldn't even play it's mental um but you know <sighs> People have expensive tastes. So that's, that's my fact of the week. Um, and we'll go that's to uh, one of my best friends in the world next. It's going to be... Ah, oh, here we go, mate. Josh Haberfield. Ah, thank you, Jay. Okay, so my fun fact for this week is... Um, I'm just going to talk about Hal Blaine for a second, who was the drummer in The Wrecking Crew, um, which oh. is probably worth... A there will... whole another podcast. It absolutely is. And you know what? I'd love to get you back on for that podcast, Josh, because the Wrecking Crew story um, is a very unknown story. Uh, and I there is a book on them, and I read the book and seen the documentaries. And the story behind the Wrecking Crew is unbelievable. Like, for anyone who loves any music or plays an instrument out there that doesn't know about the Wrecking Crew, that will be blow your mind it really really right. is um Learn and about the wrecking crew you just jotting that down mate <laughs> yeah i got it yeah yeah good Brilliant. good um note to self yeah but um but you're right sorry jo- i had to jump in there i get very passionate That's right. yeah, no but problem. Sorry, c- carry on with that about no how problem. blaine so how- yeah how blaine the the very famous studio drummer for the wrecking crew you know played with hundreds of amazing artists but one of his most favorite grooves is to be my baby by the ronettes we all know it um, and it's very distinctive. It goes dum, 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 ga, ga, ga. Now, that is a really distinctive groove that we have seen. Like, in fact, I think that I saw on Twitter recently there was like, so how Blaine did this, and then this drummer did this, and this drummer, and it goes on and on and on, and it is just in so much music right up until stuff being released today. And when Hal Blaine was asked about this, how did you come up with that, like, that feel of? not coming in on the two basically and i've actually i've jotted down his exact quote here from the interview so he says for some reason i really did not remember anything about that drum part that was written out we may not have been given anything that day Uh, i think we were rehearsing it with a straight with a straight back beat on two and four for the entire song then the red light goes and i'm in the drum booth and i counted it off and as i count it off i dropped a stick on the floor (laughs) All of a sudden, I'm not playing a beat on two. So playing with the four in my good hand that's still working as I'm reaching for another drumstick out of my case. So when you're in the studio, you make a mistake. You do every four or eight bars. It becomes part of the arrangement. It has to. You have to keep repeating what you've done. So you have to keep making that mistake to make sure 
you know, this is back in the day when we were recording on tape. So you can't go back and do it and drop me in there. You know, we'll do it. So, and then he goes, so the Ronette seemed to love it and it worked great. So we left it that way. We did a number of takes with Phil, Phil Spector, that is. Um, 28, 29 takes, something like that. But the first one was the one we used. Oh, so wow. because he dropped a stick and missed the beat on two, that's why we have that famous beat where you don't hear the snare until the fourth. No Amazing. Because I love it when a drummer drops a stick because it's just like, you dropped a stick. And also because everyone knows about it as well. But like that one actually. Yeah, this one, this one's more like, you've just made history. <laughs> You're in the studio and it's like red light goes and everyone looks at you and you go, okay, one, two. Oh God, drop my sticks. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's a nightmare. And he just carried on and he's just going, Bat. and then by the four he's got another stick in his hand so amazing. much pressure but that that is an amazing fact and that's the thing isn't it like all these you'll find that with so many like big songs or influential like guitar riffs or or, or drum beats or like vocal lines or lyrics and stuff like something a lot of them are just from mistakes or forgetfulness and things and then it just happens and like you said it's on tape everything everything has to be recorded at the same time as one take you know if if the song's five minutes long and you get to four minutes 30 seconds and there's a big howler mistake you've got to start again that's it so there's a lot of pressure it's it's a very different sort of discipline like playing like that um and and so there there must be times like it is with how Blaine, where something happens and you just have to carry on and that just becomes part of the history part i love of... i love the idea of him sat drumming then going okay don't hit the snare until i didn't do that to start with, so <laughs> i won't do it throughout the whole song that's a long song anyone that yeah. knows that song yeah but we've we've, song. we've all done that live we're playing something live and you hit a wrong yep. note or you play a wrong beat and you think right when the song comes around again i'm gonna i'm gonna do it again it'll be fine so that, yeah, yeah so that when someone in the audience if there is that one person in the audience that goes oh they got that wrong if you then play it again they go oh no it's meant to do that it's fine <laughs> oh, stylistic choice lovely yeah, lovely yeah playing that musician sure, 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 sure. yeah <laughs> just it's like hitting a wrong note in a guitar solo you just keep bending that note and eventually it'll fit in somewhere um there you go. uh so let's go to uh the current loser of the team which yeah, is brilliant tom Savinsky. what's your um mystery train fact of the week all right here we go it's all about the drums isn't it keith moon keith moon the drummer for the who blew up his drums on stage so yeah i, I knew that mate did you know that squash i did in fact i know the next bit as well <sighs> yeah go on mate carry on See how this is going to end. So, yeah. So the band were performing on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in 1967, uh, and they were miming My Generation. But uh, Keith Moon actually persuaded the pyrotechnician to put some explosives in his drums. However, the well, the pyrotechnician said, yes, we'll, we'll put some in. But, he, but Moon actually put three times the legal amount <laughs> in his drums. Um... And um, so, but this is the thing, they were miming to my generation as well. So in terms of what they heard in the recording, <laughs> in the um, yeah, the, the, the smash up finale, as I did with The Who, they loved smashing guitars. Um, uh, it was considerably more flash powder that was ever used before. So much so there was uh, somebody in the wings, um, uh, an actress called Bette Davis, uh, who actually fainted uh, in the wings because it was that loud. Uh, and Pete Townsend... <laughs> 
blames his hearing loss on this stupid prank that Keith made. Thought it would be a good idea to put three times the amount of explosive in his drums. Can you imagine if that was done today? Like, the amount of paperwork. Oh, my goodness. That that would... Yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I know that fact slightly different, that Keith said he was going to do it, and they were all like, yeah, all right, Keith. But then they were like, ah, Keith won't put enough in. And I heard that each other bandmate also, like, chucked some explosives in as well. That's probably hearsay. You probably... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says that here. Yeah. I actually... uh, I'm going to go with... uh with josh's fact on that one I, I think as a drummer you probably know the right fact um, yeah well it's, it's, it's that's what i've got here as well i said yeah everybody was like yeah let's put some in that's what it says here great really good tonic <laughs> um okay well time to vote for your favorite facts of the week uh after a lot of thinking mine is going to be josh oh. <laughs> um all jokes Thank aside you. um all jokes aside, I actually didn't know that about Hal Blaine. And that is a brilliant, lovely little tasteful fact um, that I think once you know, every time you listen to that song, you're going to be listening out for like the stick drops or like thinking about that hot red flush that a musician gets when they muck up at a really prominent moment and they go, oh my God, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like, you know, you're, you're going to hear that and feel that and that, that's amazing. So I, I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Squash Jabberfield. Tomek? No, no, no. Let's go with Josh first. Okay, Josh. So, okay, great. Um, both good facts from the boys. Um, although I guess my winner is Jay. Oh. N- no, I'm not lying. It's Jay because that's the one I didn't know, you know? That's the fact I didn't know. And I'm astonished. Yeah. That that drum skin is worth that much. Mental. It's crazy, isn't it? Sorry, Tomek. Um, okay, Tomek. Also, I'm not sure if you told the fact no, right or not, Tomek. So. <laughs> it, 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 no, exactly. That's what This I'm was from Rolling thinking. Stone magazine where I found out this. Uh, maybe, yeah, I shouldn't use that one because it's quite a commercial based fact thing. Anyway, uh, my, my fact of the week is Josh Haberfield as well. Ah. <gasps> So we have uh, a winner, Josh Haberfield has won the uh, Mr. Train Point for this week. Uh, so that leaves the score standing at... Yeah. Uh, m- the thing is, I love saying this, not so I can say how yeah, many I've Yeah, you drag got, it out as just, well, though. It's like... Um, oh. Is uh, Jay Osborne, two. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Woody Weeks with uh, one. Yeah. Josh Haberfield with one. Yeah. And Tom Xavinsky with none. Yeah, um, brilliant. Brilliant. Some good facts. Um, uh, yeah, so next week uh, we are going to go on to uh, Artist Week, which will be who's our... It? Who's, it's who's my picking? pick. It's my oh, pick right. this week. And I have picked uh, the one and only, uh, and we've touched on this person before, um, and this person is not massively well-known, uh, but is a huge influence in the world of rock and roll um, and in today's music in some ways. Uh, But I've picked the artist uh, that is known as Sister Rosetta Tharp. Oh, brilliant. um, Which Mm. is going to be a really cool episode. Um, Yes, man. So if you don't know much about her, or you do know about her, listen in because we're going to delve into who she was, what she was about and what she brought uh, to rock and roll music. And that should be really good fun. And we'll be joined back by... uh, uh, Mr. Phil Christopher Willie Weeks, um, 
probably nice and tanned and relaxed, I should imagine. What, from um, Wales? Uh, yeah. That, that man tans like no one's business. Wow, well, I'll, I'll, I'll see it when I believe it. Okay, you will. Well, you good. Will. Um, I think it's I believe it when I see it. <laughs> uh, what did I say? I'll, I'll, see, I'll see it when I believe it. <laughs> yeah, so no, I'll see it and then I'll believe it. No, so, you didn't say that. Right? Did no, you, what you did didn't. I, that's mate. what I meant, though. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> but listen, lads, it's been a it's been a really nice episode. It's been really cool having you on, Josh. And uh, thank you so much for coming on. And Cheers, we'll definitely, mate. definitely get you back on. Um, I hope you've uh, uh, had a good time. And uh, thanks for. I've had a great time, guys. Our, uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome. Yeah, no, it's been really, really cool. Um, if you get a chance, uh, check Josh out. Um, he is uh, on all the social media platforms. He also uh, runs, uh, he started not long ago, uh, an SUP uh, company, a stand-up paddleboard company, uh, which is based down south of England. I know a lot of you listen to this from other countries going, I don't live anywhere near that. I'm sorry, you'll probably miss out. Or how about just come to England and pop down to Bournemouth? Just for that. Um, just for one session. Just do that and then just go Just for one <laughs> session. It's worth it. Sweet two hours on the water with me. We can talk about drums and paddleboarding. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and um, I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna tell everyone and uh, your website and stuff, Josh, if 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 you wanna give that information away. I mean, guys, let's face it. We're all here for the music chats. But if you happen, like me, to also enjoy your water sports, <laughs> check it out. It's it's all just at Josh the SUP guide. It's all over stuff. But um, yeah, have a look at that if you want. If not, don't worry. Just keep listening to these guys because. What a treat to listen to some rock and roll facts. It's awesome. Thanks for having me, lads. Uh, uh, bless pleasure. you, man. Bless you. It's been amazing. But do seriously check him out. Um, it's a really, it's a really cool company. Uh, there's also you can check his uh, acting uh, social media pages out and stuff, and just keep an eye on what he's doing and uh, uh, what he's going to be doing next. Um, but as well as that, um, listener mail this week. Um, funnily enough, the all the listener mail this week has been for Chris Weeks. No uh, way. It's <laughs> actually. Um, yeah, it has, uh, but it's not here, so we're not going to do that. Um, Amazing. Uh, but it's just left for me Anything to say. Anything you need me um, to answer on his behalf, just let me know. <laughs> um, well, I think they're rather personal questions. Really? You know about you know about his that's fine thing that he's got going on uh, down, downstairs. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What his tan line? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I um, I don't want to tell him. Let's not tell him. He's got any. Oh, I really hope he doesn't listen to this back. Well, he's going to listen no, to this. No, he, he won't listen to this bit. He won't get yeah. this far, let's face uh, it. <laughs> no, he'll be so bored. Um, but listen, if you uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can check our podcast out uh, on Apple Music, Spotify, and any other uh, podcast uh, suppliers, if that's the word. I don't yeah, normally do the outro bit. This is Chris Weeks. They are supplying um, music. Platforms, platforms, podcast. platforms, yeah. platforms. Any other podcast platforms. Um Please check us out and drop us a line at our Instagram page, which is Straight Out the Fridge Podcast, or on our Twitter page, which is Straight Out the. And again, we couldn't get hold of Straight Out the Fridge because someone else had taken it. Um, if that is you and you're listening, please give it to us. Yeah. Um, uh, but if not, check us out there. We're also on Facebook. Just go to the search bar and type in Straight Out the Fridge. Um, drop us a line. Tell us what you like, what you didn't like. Uh, and if we got anything wrong, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and uh, I do believe that uh, Mr. For Christopher Woody Weeks has left us with a parting message, so I'll hand over to him, 
but all that's left for me to say is uh, thanks so much for listening. I've been uh, Jay Osborne, and I am with Josh Aberfield, and of course the one and only sad sack that is Tomek Zavinsky. He said that with a laugh. It was amazing. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I'll leave you with Chris Weeks. Take care, and we will uh, see you or hear you or you'll hear from us next week. <laughs> Those boys. Oh, the hijinks they get up to when I'm not around, eh? Wasn't that just the best slash worst slash reasonably dull delete as appropriate podcast you've ever heard? And wasn't Josh just charming slash dull slash better than Chris? Delete as appropriate guest that you've ever heard. Uh, I hope that you all enjoyed that. I know that I, I mean, I'm recording this ahead of time, but I'm going to listen back to it and I'm going to have a wonderful time listening back to that. As ever, do let us know your thoughts, your comments, or your opinions. Um, We've said a million times, and we'll say again, that this podcast is all about community and uh, having more than just the three voices that you've heard uh, discussing the things that we're discussing. So we'd love to hear what you have got to say. And please do subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. So do subscribe, like rate us and leave a little comment there because it makes all the difference in the world but thank you so much my name has been chris weeks it will be for a very long time and i'll be back next week thank you very much we have been straight out the fridge (laughs) 